Oh my goodness. Friend, I cannot wait to tell you what's about to happen. Do you see who's sitting next to me? This is Gay Hendrix, the Gay Hendrix, the author of The Big Leap, one of my most favorite books in the whole world. Actually, I have just by chance, Gay, check this out. I have three copies of it sitting next to me. <laughs> Welcome to the Glam Podcast. My name is Molly Mahoney from The Prepared Performer, and we are going to help you to go live and monetize. Thank you. (laughs) I always want to make sure I have one on hand to give to someone. I've already ordered so many copies of your newest book as well. They are on their way. I've been listening to the Audible version of it nonstop since yesterday. The Genius Zone, Gay's newest book, is released. It was released yesterday. So if you've yet to grab it, make sure that you do that. The link is in the chat. And if you are unfamiliar with this charming man in the purple shirt sitting next to me right now, you're in for such a treat. So Gay Hendrix is a well-known international author. I can't even begin to mention all of the accolades I could pour upon you to remind you, Gay, of how amazing you are. Really at the core of it, though, the thing that I think is the most profound is how simple and profound at the same time your advice is and the work that you've put into these books that you've shared with the rest of us. I'm just so grateful for it. And we're gonna dive into the genius move and the genius zone today. So are you ready? I'm ready. I hope everybody is. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you're watching this and you're ready, give us the word ready below. I see we have some friends joining us. So Luann is here. Uh, so good to see you, Luann. Susie Bowers, yay! She says, hi, Molly and Gay. We got some Glam fam in the house, which is so awesome. I see Winnie Anderson, a member of our Cam fam, Miranda, who already did something so wonderful for us. She sprinkled this amongst her community. So, Gay, I don't know if you know that the Book of Faces doesn't like us to say the word that I'm putting on the screen right now, S-H-A-R-E, because it can be seen as like engagement bait. So we sprinkle things around here <laughs> so we're sprinkling i don't know all of that so thanks for <laughs> informing me i'm a, i'm a kind of a uh, internet nitwit oh my god <laughs> no way jose uh you're snarky on instagram though i do have that <laughs> <laughs> well i do that one myself my my instagram is my own little private thing i started out just for my friends and now i i've got lots more friends than i started with which is great but uh we our other social media uh stuff out on uh the book of faces and uh, places like that is mostly run by other people that take things I say and put them out there, but uh, actually sit down and punch my own things out on uh, Instagram, which is probably why things come out upside down and backwards sometimes. (laughs) Which I think is the best way. Oh my gosh. Do you remember? I told you on the last time we did this show that I have a copy of the five wishes that was printed upside down. The whole inside of the book is upside down. Right. Well, that's probably a collector's item. You could probably make buck out on eBay with that one. I'm going to cherish it forever. It's already, it's priceless. (laughs) So we're going to dive into the genius zone today, give you a little sneak peek of what's in this awesome new book. Uh, For me, it's really, it's feeling more of like the workbook version of the, the, uh, the big leap. And I can't wait to hear all that you have to share with us. Yay. Oh my gosh. I'm just so excited. And those of you that are joining us live, as we get started, I would just love to drop some little housekeeping, like drop the word remind me below this video if you'd like to be notified about the next time that we're live, if you want access to the show notes, because 
we're going to do that same thing that you do on the Book of Faces, and we're going to compile show notes from today, and we'll have that ready for you on Monday. If you're watching this in the replay and you drop the word remind me, you'll get access to them right away. And I decided we're going to do a giveaway for both a selfie light and a copy of your book. So, so good. Anyone who shares the hashtag nugget with their best takeaway below this video, it will enter you into a contest. We'll pick at the end someone to win a selfie light and someone to win a copy of The Zone of Genius. The Genius Zone. I can't say the name of this book properly. Can I tell you that? I've called it 12 different things. <laughs> Anything you say with genius and zone and it is fine with me. Okay, <laughs> In an Instagram post that I wrote, I called it the genius move. And then poor Katie, one of our members of our community was like, I have searched everywhere for the book called the genius move and I can't find it. And I said, that's because that's not the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, short term memory is not your thing. I don't think. <laughs> I have more important things in my mind is what I always like to tell my husband. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm one of those kind of people too. I, uh, I uh, have uh, faulty short-term memory. I frequently leave the room. In fact, my wife and I have started doing something funny recently uh, because we're both in our seventies. Now we made up a game called elder points and you lose an elder point. If you like, leave the backyard with your coffee mug still out where you were drinking it early in the day and things like that. And you gain an elder, elder point if you remember to close the refrigerator. Do you think I can use that at 41? Does that count? <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I think just the, the way your mind works, I think you're well prepared for elderhood. That's honestly all I've ever wanted my whole life. My, my whole life, all I wanted to be to do was to be 30. And then I realized really all I wanted to be was to be 80. So <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> all right, let's get down to some business because I know we've got some awesome stuff happening today. So tell us as we get started, what the heck is the genius zone? Yes. Well, a lot of people have read The Big Leap. Uh, so let me just summarize a couple of things there. Okay. The Big Leap was about getting out of your own way, finding out what I call your upper limit problems are. And I show you how to get out from under your upper limit problems in The Big Leap and how to establish your residency in this new place I'm calling the Genius Zone. And the Genius Zone is when you're doing what you most love to do and you're doing what makes your biggest contribution to yourself and the world at the same time. So when you're in the sweet spot of your genius, I know you, Molly, spend a lot of time in the sweet spot of your genius, thankfully so. We all appreciate that. And <laughs> we, um, and it's really visible in the way you do what you do, because the light in your face, the way you speak and everything like that lets me know you're in the sweet spot of your genius zone. And so what you want to do is just keep expanding that, expanding that, expanding that every day. Uh, wiggle your way into it. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this rather than watching it, I'm kind of making some wiggle movements in my body to kind of accommodate more. You know, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the great poet said, those who breathe most air live most life. So I want to I want to live the very most life I can live here. And one way I can do that is by opening up every day to expressing more and more of my organic genius. So anyway, the genius zone, the new book is really it takes the big leap into another dimension because I don't know if you've ever seen. I don't know where you you live down south of me, but where I live. I live in a mountain valley where we often can look up into the sky and see hawks and other 
uh, birds uh, circling around way up in the sky. In fact, sometimes I sit in my backyard and just get transfixed by watching uh, hawks circling in the air. And one thing I notice is they use little or no effort because they make tiny adjustments that allows them to stay in their own genius zone of their flying without efforting. And it seems sometimes they stay up there for an hour without hardly moving their wings because they're making these tiny adjustments. And that's what I want people to learn in the genius zone. The big leap was about leaping into your genius zone. The new book is about how to stay there all the time, how to make these little adjustments, especially when you come to those places in life where you get stuck. You mentioned the genius move early. There is a thing in the book called the genius move that you make when you get into those tight, stuck situations, which happen to us often dozens of times a day. So one of the big points the new book makes is that you get dozens of opportunities a day to get into your genius zone if you know how to rack, recognize them and the moves to make when you see them coming at you. You know, you said something to me recently, which I had not read or heard. And maybe I, because I, I read The Joy of Genius several times, actually. And I, I maybe you mentioned this in that book and somehow it was one of those things that I missed or, or didn't, my short-term memory, it was an older moment. But the difference between an ulp and an ulo because, and, and maybe some people who are here with us might not know what an ulp is. Maybe you can explain that a little bit. But what you just mentioned about opportunity reminded me of when you said, you know, Molly, I don't think that's an, an ulp. I think it's an ulo. And I was like, what? Yes. Well, uh, an ulp, uh, uh, many years ago, when I was first teaching the material in the Big Leap, way back 30 or 40 years ago, my students started calling the upper limit problem, ULP, an ulp. Like, ulp, I did it again. You know, ulp. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, hold on, hold on. I am gonna. I'm claiming out loud right now that I am going to do. A, a, I'm trying to do more reels on Instagram, which are kind of like little fun videos. I'm going to do an "Oh, I did it again" video. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's for you. <laughs> be sure you're. Uh, be sure to conceal it in such a way that you don't hear from Britney Spears lawyers immediately <laughs> as soon as it hits the air. She's pro probably got a whole uh, room full of attorneys down there waiting to pounce on people that <laughs> knock off her song. Uh, but yes, the oh of, uh-oh, I did it again, oftentimes has that kind of uh, feeling to it. And the reason I was calling it an ulo, I've, I've said that oftentimes if you work it right, an oh can become an ulo, an upper limit opportunity, because it's a way of jumping into your genius. So rather than seeing it as something bad, just seeing it as another opportunity that you've got to jump into this new zone. See, I think human beings really short sell ourselves, sell ourselves short or whatever the phrase is. We don't think highly enough of ourselves when it comes to the ability to use our own tools. Like almost nobody, for example, knows how to use their breathing to work with their own feelings. When you have anger come up or sadness or fear or whatever, our bodies have this organic mechanism that is so useful if we know how to use it. That's the reason in the new book, I have a whole chapter on how to use your breathing to turn those ulps into ulos, upper limit opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I was going through the book when I got it yesterday. So I was like doing all my homework before today. And I, I loved this section on breath. And I, I wanted to share with you something kind of 
interesting around this. Ah, I have this little thing right here. Hold on. Okay, one sec. Let me, this is my professional video skills. Um, so we've realized recently, I work with a vocal coach every week, um, singing, which breathing is obviously such a huge thing with singers. Mm -hmm. And what we realized is he's made me use this thing almost every day, this oxygenator, what is this? It's a thing to test your oxygen levels in your breath because mm -hmm. he said that he thinks I'm addicted to breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That I am like, I become like addicted to oxygen that I, as a singer, I do so much with the work that you talk about. And maybe you can mention a little bit about breathing down into your belly that I need to start to allow myself to just let my breath happen naturally rather than efforting it. <laughs> like, of all things, I'm efforting breathing. <laughs> Come on, Mahoney, what's going on? Here? Yeah, well, that, that's actually a problem that a lot of us uh, suffer <laughs> from because what happens is when you get under stress, most of us start breathing shorter and shallower mm -hmm. rather than easier and deeper. Uh, interestingly enough, you can turn off the stress chemistry in your body with three or four easy breaths. You begin to decrease actually the stress chemistry. And all it takes, I think, according to the research I read, was about three or four easy breaths to begin to shut down that anxiety chemistry in the body. But unfortunately, a lot of us go the other direction. And instead of breathing deeper and easy, we clutch our bellies, tighten our bellies and breathe up in our chest, shorter and shallower. And that actually disturbs the oxygen CO2 uh, balance in the body and starts making everything go off center. You know, you kind of feel off center, feel a little tired, maybe feel a little mentally foggy, muscles tense, all those kind of things come from those little imbalances in the breathing. And so if you know, so there's one thing that I recommend more than anything else, it's learn to breathe with your feelings rather than hold your breath against your feelings, you know, to, to a lot of times, you know, there's a great line from a James Joyce books, book where he says, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. And it's, <laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem that even the Greeks had a word for it. They called it alexithymia. You can actually see it in old medical textbooks that people suffer from alexithymia, which means being out of touch with your feelings and the natural things that go on in your body. That's alexithymia, not being able to give words to the feelings that you have inside. So in a lot of times when people come in here, like uh, my wife and I uh, work with a lot of couples mm -hmm. and a lot of them come from far away, a different country or something like that to work with us intensively for a, a day or two. And one thing that often happens is that in a relationship, both people suffer from alexithymia in the sense that neither one of them can give voice to the true feelings that are going on inside themselves. And so we all need to recalculate so that we live in our bodies in the right now, right on top of ourselves, right in ourselves um, way of being in the world. Because if you don't, if you start separating yourself from your feelings and kind of getting distant from those organic parts of yourself, it sets up a rattle that then translates into roughening of things out in the material world. So the inner correction always needs to take place first, but a lot of us get seduced into thinking we have to fix something on the outside first so we can feel good inside. Man, that's the real, the real nugget of it all. And even in our, you know, in business coaching programs, relationship coaching, whatever, whatever it is, I find that the, 
the thing that we keep coming back to is, yes, I can give you all these cool ninja tricks that you can use on Facebook, but if you can't, I, and I think as you mentioned in the book, recommit to that, that, that deepening of self, none of those tactics are gonna work. Yeah, underline that. I really appreciate you highlighting that because, you know, a friend of mine um, was 30 pounds overweight and out of shape. He'd been an executive for many years and he retired. And so he just hated to go to the gym and work out. So what he did, he made a deal with himself that for the first week of going to the gym, he would just do one chin up a day. <laughs> and then the second week he would do chin up, two chin ups a day. So by the end of the year, he'd lost 30 pounds and he could do 50 chin-ups a day where he could hardly do one that first day. So I'm a big believer in always committing to your zone of genius, to operating out of that sweet spot of your genius zone, and also be very forgiving of yourself for not showing up that way all the time. You see, because I like to think of life as, as human beings being like the automatic pilot on an airplane. You know, if, if you point the automatic pilot to New York from LA, it makes a thousand, thousands of little tiny corrections. It says, okay, we're drifting to the right, let's correct to the left. And then, okay, we're drifting a little to the left, let's correct to the right. And it makes these things automatically. And so you get from LA to New York by being wrong most of the time <laughs> because you've been willing Wait, to recorrect. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good nugget. <laughs> if we can just recognize we're going to get to whatever level of success it is by being wrong most of the time, how much more forgiveness is there in that? <laughs> oh, I know. That's that's the reason I like that analogy. It reminds me of when my daughter was little, I took her to horse riding lessons for the first time when she was six years old. She wanted that for her birthday. She wanted a horse lesson. And so I took her and I was scared to death because the horse <laughs> looked about 19 feet tall to me yeah. from where I was sitting over on the fence post there. But uh, but anyway, the trainer got her up on the horse and they started walking along and then they started kind of jogging along. And my daughter promptly fell off the horse. And the trainer, you know, to her, people fall off the horses all the time. She just put Amanda back on the uh, horse again, and they went off again. I was, of course, just about to climb the fence over there, you know, because she'd fallen off this 28 foot high horse. And uh, so, but I love the, how the it went was, from 19 to 20. It was 19 feet at first, and now it's 28 feet. So it's like it, it was growing, growing by the moment. <laughs> and the funny thing was, she, she lasted about 20 seconds, and she promptly fell off again. And so, uh, anyway, she got back on. So, the important thing is, it's, you know, like, Life in a way, I don't know if you, you have kids. Well, uh, when my daughter was little, she had a Bobo the Clown thing that was about her height that she could punch and it yes. would immediately come back up to a standing position. I don't know if that was a healthy thing to have for her to play with or not now, but uh, it's probably outlawed these days. But uh, the, the good thing about it was Bobo the Clown, would you'd punch it over and it would pop right back up. So it was a good learning lesson about how to deal with life because we're all Bobo the Clowns in a way. We don't get a manual at birth called, here's how to live life. Uh, in a way, wouldn't it be great if we had some better manuals? Because most of the stuff that I've found that I teach are things that could easily have been learned in the first grade. Uh, if we wait a minute, you already said you're not doing a children's book. Is that right? I asked you and you said no. <laughs> no, but about 50 people a year 
wave large amounts of money in front of me to do that. And so far I've resisted. Uh, I'm, I'm going to save it for when I get old. Okay, good. <laughs> as long as we know it's coming someday. I'm only 76 now. I'm just getting underway. I've written nine mystery novels since I was 65. And so uh, I don't know what I'm going to be up to over the next 10 years. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right that those are, it's things that at least in high school, if not in, in, in elementary school, if it could be required reading to help us to be able to navigate humanness. You, you said to me on another call recently, uh, there's two things I'd love to I'd love to dive into. You said, well, let me tell the backstory. So I was talking about something that had happened that was in our business. And some of you know, I've shared this publicly a little bit, but we had some things happen in our business where a, an account manager, one of our contractors quit. And in the replacement of her with a new person, just everything went wrong. Like not everything, but a lot of things went wrong. Major things in our business behind the scenes. And I, I told Gay that I thought I had hit hit an ulp and he mentioned that it was an, an ulo i had caught it in time right and he said well it sounds like you have one foot in the in the accounting department you've got one foot in sales and he said any any other part of you anywhere else and i said <laughs> i said well my butt is firmly grounded in my genius zone and i'm clenching my cheeks with all my might <laughs> and 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 you told this story about how you play you like to to do improv games. Can you tell us about this improv story that you mentioned? Do you remember what you said to that? No. That? <laughs> what was the general subject there? Yeah, so you said that, that uh, you did improv when you were younger, which I think is something that is so helpful for our community to, to talk about, like how improv can affect our videos, our life in general. And you said, I hope this is okay that I share this. Is this okay? Anything is okay, okay. with me that you share. <laughs> okay. You said that you put on different characters sometimes. And that you have a character that you do that is um, a dancer. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, my wife and I, Katie, we've been together now uh, more than 40 years. We're about to have our uh, 40th wedding anniversary in October, as a matter of fact. And uh, so over that time, we both came from, she's a dance therapist originally training, one of the first uh, dance therapists in America, certified dance therapist way back. And uh, so movement is her, you know, it's her metier. And so I come from the world of breathing and breath work and that kind of thing. And then when we got together, we found that we both had a fascination for movement improv, contact improv, and regular uh, spoken improv. And so we do what we call persona play all the time. Like uh, I have this persona that uh, just, I was playing with her this morning, this persona that I'm the, um, I'm the person who's responsible for the kitchen and she must not violate any of my rules in the kitchen. Now that's the most ridiculous thing in the world because it's actually, you know, she's a master chef and everything, but it's a complete upside down thing, right. you know, like the other morning I was polishing the counters with uh, with these uh, uh, organic wipes that we have that are made of some kind of special, extremely expensive substance. And I was uh, polishing the counters with it and she came in and I said, be careful because when you come in here, you're not my wife, you're just another surface to be polished. <laughs> okay, so that's an example of persona play. I was in my, uh, my kitchen guy persona, but it, uh, so we do that all the time. And uh, uh, I highly recommend it. We, in fact, we have whole instructions for it in a couple of our relationship books because couples that do it 
uh, thrive because if you're willing to separate yourself from your personas enough that you can play with them, that's an important thing in life because a lot of people don't know they're in a persona when they're in a persona, they think that's life. That's the way life is. They don't realize it's just another thing they could ah, let go of so they could have a little more freedom and spontaneity in their lives. And play with, man, <clears throat> how on earth? Okay, I get this question a lot and I don't really have an answer for it, even though people ask me this question a lot. You are, are um, seemingly doing things in so many different areas, like with the relationship coaching that you and your amazing wife do together with your novels. When I learned that a, a year or so ago, I was like, wait, what? Like with this work here, which it seems like someone who has written a book like this and like the the genius zone and, and done what you've done in that world, then you learn that like you were on Oprah with her, on, you know, relationship wise, like how have you lived so many multiple lives without being stressed out? Or maybe well, that is a great question. Um, actually, I think that may be the first time I always I get interviewed all the time and I'm always looking for somebody to ask me a new question. And I want to just appreciate that one because I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. Let me tell you about something that happened when I was in the 10th or 11th grade. I was in the city library in Leesburg, Florida. That is a small library, but it was a really well put together library. And I spent a lot of time in there because in Florida, you always kind of like to hang out in places that have air conditioning, if at all possible. <laughs> and so the city library was air conditioned, <laughs> which not very many people were in those days. Uh, yeah. But um, I was in the library and I was, I didn't realize that I was having kind of a teenage crisis because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. You know, my girlfriend, for example, in high school, she was really clear. She wanted to be a teacher. And uh, I, I looked around me and I couldn't really see anything that I wanted to do. My town was small enough. There was no such thing as a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anything like that. So that was sort of outside my worldview. But I was looking in the library and I came across a book that was written hundreds of years ago called The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini. And he was one of the first people that was regarded as a Renaissance person because he was... Benvenuto Cellini. Oh, I found it. Okay, I'm going to put C the link in the chat. I got it. C-E-L-L-A. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yeah, and he was one of the first people to be identified as a Renaissance man, a Renaissance person, because, and this was a new term for me. I said, what is a Renaissance person? And it was laid out, you know, he was a musician. He was a civic leader. He was a writer. He engaged in helping his friends with lots of things. Anyway, I realized I didn't want to do just one thing. I wanted to kind of figure out how I could express myself in as many different areas as I possibly could. And so it kind of comes from that moment of mm -hmm. kind of feeling disenchanted with the possibilities of life and kind of looking for something different. But it's really true. I mean, the first things I ever got published as a writer were poems. Uh, so I didn't get started writing in the field of counseling or spirituality or Where anything like that. Where can we find those? Where can we find your poems? Oh, I hope you can't. <laughs> 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 they're on the lines of, uh, no, they're, they're actually three poems that I feel proud of that got published in the, I think it was the Jur American Journal of Counseling. It's in somewhere in my biography, but I can't remember because it was 
almost 50 years ago. Um, but I published three poems in a counseling journal about the subject of counseling that I was just getting into at the time. And it became the consuming passion of my life, helping people through face-to-face -face contact or what you and I are doing now or writing books. But here's the deal I made with the universe. I actually, I read Buckminster Fuller and he at age 27 was feeling suicidal and had made a new deal with the universe where he committed himself to inventing useful things in return for the universe supporting him. So he didn't have to think about money. And I read about that and I said, by golly, I'm going to do that. And so way back, you know, probably before I met Katie, actually, I actually kind of had a formal conversation with the universe and said, I want to use all my skills, however I can apply them. And in return for that, I'd like to be supported so I don't have to sweat money too much. And so, um, wow, it happened. You yeah. know, almost as soon as I made that new deal with the universe, things started happening. I discovered things about myself that I wanted to write books about and it was an amazing journey ever since that. And that's not going to be everybody's life path. But I think that we all have a duty, kind of a cosmic, sacred, spiritual duty to choose our own life path, not what you've been handed, but to actually say, is this what I want to do? What do I really want to do? In the Mary Oliver poem, she raises this question. She says, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? And you know, we should live in that question. And that's really at the heart of the genius zone, because really the genius zone is about these two things I call the genius move and the genius moment. How to spot the moment when you can make something happen that catapults you into genius. Yeah, I had that one as something I wanted to maybe dive into a little bit. So that's that's good. And if you, if you, when you get the book, not if you get the book, if you're watching this, you're getting the book. So get the book. We've got lots of nuggets coming in. We've got Elisa Rothstein, one of my favorite uh, humans on the planet. Lisa, actually, if you don't know Lisa Rothstein, she is a brilliant copywriter and cartoonist and wrote the lyrics. Wait till we get our hands on you. Do you remember that, that commercial forever ago? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I always introduce her. But she also wrote, um, the lyrics, we did a, a spoof at Social Media Marketing World. We've done a huge musical spoof every year, and she writes these hilarious, brilliant lyrics. Lisa Rothstein, I love you. Um, we got so many people here. Drew Boudreaux says, that is amazing. Uh, Diana Sabatino says, none of us are capable of one thing, or just capable of one thing. I love that he chose to make an impact in so many ways to so many people. Oh, my goodness. It's so good to see all of you here. I love it. Lisa even said, is it Cellini? Is that how you say it? Is that my Italian? Yes, Cellini, ben, Benvenuto Cellini. Cellini. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much goodness. Okay, I need to ask a, a, a need. I'm saying the word need, which I, <laughs> I have a burning question that actually fits in really well with something that we're working in our GLAM program, working on in our GLAM program right now, which is the power of storytelling. Mm. And man, you have pulled at least, I mean, at least 20 either quotes or stories or metaphors since we've been here in the past 30 minutes to solidify a point, it, do you have a process for like collecting stories and tying them to points that you want to make, or has it just become a habit? Oh, another great question. Wow. <laughs> um, well, let me tell you, I have actually a science that I practice of storytelling. 
And uh, it's a science of the heart, but it's also a science of the mind because listen to this, 50 years ago, I was when I was working on my PhD at Stanford, there was another person over in another department named Bob Miltz, Robert Miltz. And you can find his name on various publications now because he became you know, an authority in the field of education. He did this one study on how to explain things. Okay, How can teachers best explain things? And he came up with a formula for explaining things that you're going to love, I predict, and I predict everybody listening will. It's called concept, example, concept. To tell a story, you've got to use both hemispheres of the brain. You can't just go to the right hemisphere, and you certainly can't just go to the left hemisphere and explain it logically. You've got to go back and forth. So the best way to explain things to people and the best way to communicate is by going back and forth between concept, example, and concept. For example, so I just <laughs> stated my concept. For example, when you make the concept, when you're teaching the concept, it's a really good idea to tell the truth in a relationship. Okay. There's even a fantastic payoff for telling the truth and being honest in relationships. That's a concept, right? Right. Now, here's the example. I had a couple in here many years ago from a foreign country who came all the way over to consult me on a seven-year problem. They'd been having problems in their relationship for seven years and hadn't been able to straighten it out, been to many other counselors and that kind of thing. So they came here as kind of a last resort. My actual treatment took about 10 seconds, although it took about an hour and a half to unwind it afterwards. But my treatment was, okay, seven years ago, what truth did somebody withhold or did both of you withhold? What came out immediately was that she had had an affair with his best friend seven years ago, a one-nighter drunken thing at a party and um, where he was out of town or something. And but that was the truth that got lived around for seven years. And so once it was outed, there was a big uproar for a while. But I can tell you that 20 years, 15 years later, they're still doing fine together because they were able to bring up something that had been kind of like a boulder sitting underneath the living room carpet. And they'd been walking around the boulder for years and years and years. But people like me, our job is to see the boulder, you know, and say, okay, <laughs> stand over there on top of the boulder and tell me why it's there. And so let me repeat now the concept, concept, example, concept. Now you have an example of how you can go around having continual orgasms by telling truths all the time. Uh, and uh, let me leave you with that positive thought. <laughs> I mean, really though, <laughs> it's, and I'll, I'll add one little thing into it, which maybe you don't know that you do, but what you actually did was you did concept, example, metaphor, concept, because you brought the boulder in too, which is a little sneaky addition to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to out all my secrets here. And then, then people go out and write their own mystery novels and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, when, when, when you use concept, example, concept around in our trainings, people shorten it to con X con, con X con, con X con, uh, because the X is so important, the example. But an example could be a story like I told about 
her orgasm story or uh, the uh, metaphor, or it could be an image of some sort, like my automatic pilot uh, of an airplane image. So all those things are part of that back and forth from left to right hemisphere. And with that, do you have, like you guys have courses and all these, I hear these little mentions of like, oh, these courses or these things or these workshops. Do you have workshops or courses on storytelling? The, we don't on a specific one on storytelling, but storytelling is built into both of our major trainings. We have one training for relationship type therapists and people, um, coaches. And we have another training that's more in the body mind area. Uh, that works on our approach to breathing and movement and those kind of things. So both of those, though, have storytelling embedded in them. Everybody learns how to tell their stories with uh, concept, example, concept. Ugh, I love it so much. And are those all at the Hendricks Institute? Where do people find more about that? Uh, the main place is Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And the other place is our foundation, our nonprofit foundation has a lot of free resources over there. It's the foundation for conscious living. Yes. Okay. I have to tell you at one point, maybe this was probably maybe two years ago. I went on this mission to buy like as many of your books as I can. And so I have this huge stack of your books, like ones that are like out of print. Like I don't, it's, I mean, it wouldn't fit on the screen if I showed it to you right now. So I, I made a commitment to my, my COO and she's also my sister-in-law on, on Monday, we had a call where we really committed to, health targets and uh, business targets and things like that. And reading is one of them, which I am, I listen, but I, I don't read as often as I'd like to. So I'm going to work my way through this giant stack of your wisdom. And I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. When I'm in November, I'm going out to Maui for the first time with uh, Katie. And uh, as I sit there on the beach, sipping my uh, pina colada, I'll think of you and your stack of books. Uh, and, and <laughs> I think everyone here should buy should should contribute to your pina colada by buying not only the big leap but also the genius zone. So let's just. I think my uh, my friendly accountant once told me that after taxes and agents fees and everything else, I I make eighty two cents a book. So uh, if you bought one of my books, believe me, I appreciate the eighty two cents. <laughs> oh my gosh, you've just done so much with your 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 mistakes that you've made in your life <laughs> by, sharing well, things, by doing all the wrong things and then sharing with us how to use that for good. <laughs> well, I think that's the best each of us can do because I, I know for sure I've worked with, I think about 20,000 people now individually and about 44 or 4,500 couples uh, over the years. And one thing I've discovered is that everybody's story in there has the potential for their own transformation. If they really understand their own story, yeah. uh, then if you can get around where you can hear other people's stories, that's fantastic. But I think everybody is carrying around the seeds of their own genius and it's wrapped up in the story of the actual things that have happened to you in your life. That's why I make such a point in the new book about how you get constant genius moments all the time, opportunities, and they come at you in most unusual ways. One of the ways they come at you, one of the ways you can actually recognize a genius moment is you feel stuck or you feel you've kind of got yourself into a box or you don't feel centered inside. That's an invitation to genius because most people respond to that by doing more and more of what already isn't working. 
You know, so if they've worried themselves sick, they'll worry themselves even sicker in hopes that if they worry just right, everything will work out. But <laughs> I can say that it doesn't as a former worrier. 99% um, of the stuff human beings worry about is actually outside of their ability con to control. There is no worry thought, almost no worry thought that ever pays off. They're just kind of like having the parking brake on and the accelerator on at the same time. Having the parking brake on is what creates all that spin cycle of negative thinking in our head. Once we let go of the parking brake and just own ourselves as we are, accept ourselves, love ourselves as we are, then things begin to move more smoothly because if things are rattled on the inside, of course they're going to be rattled on the outside. You know, so no need to try to fix them on the outside first. You know, get it aligned on the inside and then life itself falls into place. And that's the magic you're going to get out of this book. So I want to be mindful of your time, but I know we just have a few more minutes. I want to give one more shout out to the book. Go grab this. Oh my gosh, it's so, so, so powerful. If you've not read The Big Leap, make sure that you grab that as well. So grateful for you, Gay, for joining us again here on the show. I want to shout out also our sponsor, Be Live. Oh, look at how I made the logo today. <laughs> I tried to do a different logo. I didn't look at the PNG. If you look very carefully, you'll see Be Live made this show possible. <laughs> <laughs> they allow us to bring all this magic on the screen. And if you got nothing going on tomorrow, we are doing a new live video masterclass. You can go to livevideomasterclass.com to join us for that. I'm sure there will be even more wisdom in it simply because of what we learned today. <laughs> and if you're listening to this in the podcast, like Gay mentioned at the beginning, know that you can come and be a part of the conversation if you join us on our weekly live show on Facebook, on YouTube, on LinkedIn on my personal profile, all those places. And I'd love to gift the last two minutes to you to do whatever you want to do with them. Okay. Well, thank you very much. First of all, uh, I love what you're doing. I really appreciate uh, you have such great energy. So it's a delight to watch you work in the world. And uh, I appreciate th that so much. And I know your clients must feel you as a special gift in their lives. So thank you for uh, hosting this conversation. There's uh, nothing I'd rather do in the whole wide world pretty much other than hang out with uh, Katie and my two cats and talk about this particular subject. And so uh, I, uh, I have been around the world 30 some times so far talking about this and uh, on 2,500 different interviews as I've counted up over the years and I haven't gotten tired of uh, talking about it yet. So uh, uh, I encourage everybody to make their whole life a quest for genius. I started doing that 30 or 40 years ago when I was just maybe spending 10% of my time in my genius zone. Took me a few years, but now I spend almost 100% of my time in my genius zone. I, I'm also the head kitty litter person here as well as head uh, dishwasher unloader. So I'm not particularly a genius at that, but uh, I do that too. But most of the time when you uh, come by my house or my office, you'll see me doing some version of what we're doing now. So I encourage everybody to tune in and tap into their own genius, find out what it is, find out what you do 28 hours a day, even if you weren't getting paid for it, and then let somebody pay you massively for it. That's my <laughs> advice. Ah, it's the best. We still have to pick our nugget winners too. So we got to, will you help me by just telling me when to stop? I'm scrolling for nuggets. So I'm scrolling. Oh, uh, stop. Okay, the first comment I pulled up was mine, which is not going to count. <laughs> <Stop. laughs> 
We got Sarah Hart, who, oh my gosh, Sarah, it's so good to have you here. And Sarah, this is such a perfect conversation for you to bring to your clients too. So Sarah, her nugget is play with my personas. And Sarah, I'm going to gift you the book. So I'll be sending you a copy of The Genius Zone. Make sure you send an email to molly at the prepared performer with your address. We'll send that to you in the mail. And then, Gay, we have one more to pick. So tell me when to stop again. Ready? Mm, all right, stop. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious it is charmaine who says one of my favorite humans also spot the genius moment charmaine is an amazing coach for um families of kids with disabilities and so she helps them get to their ieps and all of that there's so much goodness in here for you charmaine um charmaine email me tell me if you want a selfie light or the book because i think you may already have a bunch of selfie lights so if you want the book we'll send you that too oh my gosh thank you so much gay for joining us and uh, I know you got to run. So I'm just going to take a little screenshot while we're still live right here real quick. Can we do that? And then we can use that mm -hmm. as our thumbnail. Okay, ready? One, two, three. All right. <laughs> as always. Thank you so I much, Molly. Great being with you. And uh, many blessings to you on uh, all of this. I sure had a lot of fun with you today. Ditto. As always, it's my absolute pleasure to be here with you, the mall stars, the prepared performers, the belivers, all of you helping you to unlock your inner awesome and truly turn your message into a movement. Ah, Gay Hendrix, the best ever. So good. Bye. Okay.